0: Show. You're tuning into another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. We got a great show for you today. We're tuning into an older conversation with my good friend, Kristen Sherry. If you don't know Kristen, she is an international best selling author. In fact, she quit her corporate gig several years ago and actually launched a little thing called UMAP. It's a personality test that I'm a big fan of. There's a lot more to say about it, but on top of that, she began writing books, and like I mentioned, she is internationally well-known. In fact, she has placed on a multitude of best-selling lists Uh, She is absolutely way beyond my circle of influence, so I did not deserve to have a conversation with her for over an hour. However, uh, we've continued to have conversations since this original one. Uh, I do apologize for the audio quality a little bit. We were on a Zoom call, and this was a bit of a a time ago before I had a little bit of a better equipment set up. All that to say, now that I've drawn your attention to things you probably didn't even care about, (laughs) let's tune in to this episode. But first, a word from one of the amazing businesses we love to chat about. See you soon. Have you ever put out some content or run a new advertising campaign or tried to launch a service that you just knew had magic to it, and then you were shocked to find out that no one seemed that interested in it? Maybe even felt downright depressed thinking, what is going on? Is something, did I mistype something? Did something go wrong here? There has to be a reason why people aren't latching onto this. You know, those moments where you know you have lightning in a bottle and yet it seems like people just aren't getting it. Well, you might need to hire a marketing company that can help you take your business to the next level. I want to tell you about Asality Marketing. They're the marketing company that B2B SaaS companies can count on. And they help them grow faster with bold sales and marketing processes that actually work. See, it's not about creating content and then praying that, please, 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 please let me have a sale today. It's about trusting a business that's actually different because they have over 10 years of hands-on experience working with B2B companies. And remember, it's the outcomes that count. The results speak for themselves. That's why I trust Accelity Marketing. Go to excelitymarketing.com to find out more. We have Kristen Sherry. She is a career consultant, she's the creator of UMAP, and she is a best selling author. Guys, her books are phenomenal. She was just number one in the career section on Amazon, and we are very excited to have her on the show today. Kristen, thanks for being here today.
1: Thank you, Blake. I feel like this has been a long time coming from our first conversation on LinkedIn. I'm so excited to be talking with you today.
0: Well, I'm very excited as well, and it's partly a long time coming because I totally missed our last appointment. And oh, I-
1: stop. Don't, don't <laughs> tattle on yourself.
0: Well... <laughs> something that, that people who know me know about me is I'm very authentic. I try to be very honest and so I say that not just to not just to down myself, but to also you know that's really why it's taken so long is because I can't get my, my scheduling uh, happening here, but uh, super excited that you're on the show today and I, I, I just there's so many different angles I want to go with our conversation. But I think the first thing and for our listeners, when I first called Kristen, the thing that I loved about her was typically I offer to give the questions to the person who I'm going to have on the show. And Kristen said, nope, I don't want the questions. I just want to be as authentic as possible. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that because that that's it's pretty impressive that that's your philosophy on these kinds of conversations.
1: Well, I mean, I've done a lot of, you know, radio interviews and and podcasts and I just, I know myself. I know that, I will add the most value to your listener if I speak from my heart and I don't want my head to get in the way. So that's why I don't like to know the questions because I want to just go with what my heart tells me to say.
0: I love that. And I've been on this authenticity kick. It's it's one of the main things that I like to talk about with my following. And it's obviously something that you really value yourself. I'm curious, you know, especially cause you're on LinkedIn a lot, you're in the social media world. So you see people who no doubt are, they're presenting a certain form of themselves. I'd be curious to get your perspective on why does it feel like authenticity can be a challenge for some people?
1: Well, I think ultimately, if you look at the basic need that human, human beings have, it's to belong. And I think that people feel that if they are who they are and they say what they really think and, uh, you know, that maybe they might get rejected or people won't like them or will criticize them or think less of them and so our self-conscious behavior gets in the way of presenting authentically sometimes and I think the people who tend to be the most authentic are the people who have been through a lot of struggles and challenges and have learned that by opening up and being honest that's when they had the best response from people. Authenticity pays off. And people who who haven't put themselves out there yet, they haven't experienced that.
0: Hmm. Or maybe they tried a little bit and they got burned in some way or it didn't.
1: Possibly, but then they're yeah. not speaking to the right communication partner.
0: That's a good point. So what, what do you mean by that?
1: So Lila Smith is a really good friend of mine and she is the creator of the Say Things Better method of intentional communication. And she reminds people that we all have A communication partner that's the person that we are trying to reach with our authentic message that wants to be the receiver of that message and those are the people that we should be intentionally targeting with our messaging and other people who don't relate to what we have to say or don't believe in our message that's okay because they have different communication partners. So we don't have to try to appeal to everyone. And so when people come up against you, if they're what we call trolling you or <laughs> criticizing you or telling you, you know, your content stinks or whatever they're doing, you you don't look and say, what should I do differently? You say, ah, that person's not my communication partner. And that's okay.
0: Well, and what a what a mature response other than just like, I feel like when I get like those really harsh messages, I want to just like cry into my pillow. But I love... <laughs> I love how you said it of like, oh yeah, they're just not my my communication partner. Um, Yeah,
1: I'm like Teflon woman. It's what upsets me is when people attack people I care about, but people saying stuff about me or my content, like I know that my content helps people, not everyone, but it does help people. I've had messages of people saying this was really helpful to me, or I'm looking at this in a new way, or this was thought provoking, or I went and did the tip and here's what happened. And so I'm not going to tweak what I'm doing or change what I'm doing for one person or two people when the majority of people are benefiting from what I'm doing. So you can't try to please everyone because if you try to be everything to everyone, you you end up being nothing to no one really.
0: Well, I love, I love your philosophy too, because it's so true in business in that a lot of times people, especially like in the marketing world, they'll try to revise their message for that one who didn't like it. Rather no. than, you know, and I've seen, I've seen on your LinkedIn, you have so many pictures you post of people who've used, and we'll talk about UMAP here in a little bit, the people who've used it, who've like gotten their job or they got their dream job or just, yeah. it's really cool seeing those things happen and how crazy it would be for you to get one toxic message and then just flip the whole thing and say, well, I'm going to change everything. I'm going to." No.
1: Well, yeah. you know, it's actually really funny because I do these job seeker workshops for people in the community who are unemployed, underemployed, or misemployed. And that's part of my volunteer work. That's not part of my job. Um, I serve on a board of directors for Crossroads Career, uh, and they help people with um, finding jobs. So <laughs> I love this so much. I do it everywhere. But that's my volunteer work. And in these quarterly workshops, we survey the participants and we ask them certain things. It never fails. One person will say the room was too hot and another person in the same session will say the room was too cold. So I always remember that survey, the room's too hot, the room's too cold, anytime people criticize my content. I do listen to what people are saying. I want to have an open heart to feedback for people who, even if their delivery is not tactful or is not the best method of delivery, what what is the value in this feedback, eat the meat and spit out the bones. So you should always be open and not just write everyone off as a troll. Maybe there's something valuable in their feedback, but they just have a little bit of a rough delivery.
0: So I have to pause for a second. have to ask you where you got that expression, eat the meat and spit out the bones.
1: So I don't know where its origin is, but I heard it from Michelle Chapin. So Michelle Chapin uh, is uh, Chris Chapin's wife. Chris Chapin is UMAP certified coach. Okay. And his wife said that to me once. Okay,
0: I I use that expression because I heard it as a kid at a summer camp, probably twenty years ago, and I used it because I got it from there. And someone was like, "Where did that even come from?" And then you're the first person I've actually heard say it. And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I really do like this person because
1: It's a great that's a great saying because well, there's so much
0: value. It, it is, and I love your philosophy on feedback in that absolutely, you know, taking criticism to heart in the sense of okay, how can I be better? How can I improve? but also understanding where the line is, where, okay, you know, that person isn't my, you know, IE target customer or it's not someone who's in sync and especially, you know, doing like public speaking. When you stand up, there's people who are going to be like, Oh my gosh, you're phenomenal. And there's gonna be people in the room who are like, you're an idiot. You know, who, who, who got this person here today? And, and focusing on the ones who really are getting the most out of it. I think that's a really great philosophy rather than let's change the whole message. Let's, let's turn it upside down.
1: Well, the second piece of feedback I would get, give around anyone who's putting themselves out there because you're going to get criticized, I mean, I've had people tell me one of my posts was the most uh, inane thing they've ever read. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that's not true. But, um we go into fight, flight, freeze when we are criticized and an intellectual threat has the exact same brain response. If you look at an MRI, it has the exact same brain response as a physical threat. So if you're being chased by a bear or someone saying you're terrible and you suck, wow. you have that same um, physiological reaction. And so what's really key is being mindful of your physiological reaction to threat. So when someone says something critical of you, staying calm, taking a deep breath, making sure your brain is staying oxygenated because the blood flows away from your brain when you feel threatened, and then you start saying something stupid in response because (laughs) your prefrontal cortex doesn't have enough oxygen to be rational. I'm really good at
0: that, by the way.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot to be said when people say, ignore the troll, um, maybe you can respond eventually if there's a point, um, mm. but not not right away, not before you bring yourself out of fight or flight because you're going to say something you regret.
0: Mm. Well, and it's, some, it's pretty interesting too, because even on like a professional community like LinkedIn, it amazes me people who like, they have their title, they have everything professionally is there, right there about them, and yet they still feel compelled to be so harsh in their opinion right? And in a sense of um, not like throwing tactfulness out the window. And what I've noticed is people will then they won't engage on their platform and they won't provide their own valuable insight because they're fearful of mm-hmm. that one person saying that thing.
1: Yeah. Did you know that tact is an inherited personality trait?
0: No. Uh-uh. Yeah. That's
1: awesome. So people are are born with, uh, of course, their natural temperament, and about 60% of your personality is, is what we call your genotype. It's basically what you were born with. And then you have about 40% that's shaped by the environment, they call that the phenotype. And so we, are, we inherit, it's something called, um, it's something called, well, it is called tact in the big five personality, uh, if, if you're familiar with the big five personality uh, assessment. Uh, there are 28 sub traits and tact is one of them and so is reserve and people who have high reserve don't speak up and people who have low reserve always share their opinion. (laughs) So when you combine someone with low tact and low reserve, those people are naturally oriented to speak whatever's on their mind and they're very blunt and direct in their delivery. And so since they're naturally wired that way, that to them is a sensible style of communication. And they think that putting tact around things is a waste of time. It's flowery. They believe they're truth telling and that they are doing people a favor by being direct and no nonsense. So it's really not effective to say, you know, you're rude or you, um, this is a professional platform because they're like, I am being professional by telling you the truth. And so Sometimes when you're dealing with people who are overly uh, blunt and direct like that, the, really the only thing that you can do is, say, um, give feedback in a way that's not critical, right? So I appreciate the feedback that you're giving me. Um, it, it, it is coming across a little across a little bit direct, and people with different personalities may not hear what you have to say, and you have some good feedback, so you might consider tailoring your delivery. To your audience so that's about all you can do and blunt people are going to remain blunt that's the only way they know how to communicate you can become more tactful but what's in it for me if somebody hasn't seen a fallout from that and if they're not getting fired from jobs or it's not having any kind of a negative reaction behavior that gets rewarded gets repeated so they have to see some sort of a downside other than oh your hurt feelings on the internet <laughs>
0: You know, and it's it's so interesting. I love what you're saying because I'm, I'm even like processing this, processing this for like owners and managers who they kind of wear their brashness as like a badge of honor and that like, I love how you expressed it too of like, you know, well, yeah, I told them the truth. I mean, I wouldn't it, how could I, you know, would you really want me not to say it? And it feels like people sometimes they they miss that tactfulness component in the sense of, yes, you gave the truth, but you also like crushed this person and mm-hmm. now they can't digest what was actually really good feedback, but your mode of delivery kept them from actually, you know, eating the meat and spitting out the bones. And it feels like it, it all comes back to this conversation of like self-awareness in realizing, mm-hmm. Oh, this, this is my natural mode of communication, but it's not working for this person. And if someone doesn't have that revelation of self-awareness, they kind of always continue to operate in this. Well, yeah, that's, that's what's natural to me. So, What's your philosophy on self-awareness? How, do, how does someone maybe make that click or that, oh my gosh, yeah, I'm, I'm a horrible person or I'm, I'm, it's not working or people hate me or, you know, how does, that, how does that happen for someone?
1: Oh, Blake, I could talk for days about this, so I'll try to <laughs> gather my thoughts and be <laughs> succinct. But self-awareness, first of all, is the number one predictor of career success. If you look uh-huh. at research on being successful in your career, self-awareness is the thing to spend uh-huh. the most time on. Yeah. And so what what people don't realize is there are no good or bad personalities. There are only good or bad behaviors. And so it's very helpful to understand your personality and other people's personalities and what the priorities and motivations are from different personalities. So, for example, the blunt and direct people, they prioritize challenging Themselves and other people they think that's important. That's how we get better. That's how we get results. That's how we take action but somebody who's a more um, Harmonious person who likes to get along with people and doesn't like conflict they prioritize and need supportive behavior they prioritize being a supportive person and creating stability in relationships and so what's happening is we're crossing wires And this person is saying, hey, like, this is the impact you're having on me, boss, as you come and delegate to me, or what what have you. And the other person discounts the feedback because they're not recognizing that people have fundamentally different priorities and different needs and motivations based on how they're wired. And so you're only going to be able to be effective with about 25% of the population who are wired like you. And so the question becomes, Are you satisfied with having effective relationships with 25% of the population and ineffective relationships with 75% of the population? And if you say, Yes, I'm okay with that, then you need to do a little bit of a gut check on what are your goals in life because you can't be successful by yourself because those things are going to catch up with you. So self awareness is a predictor of career success because we don't accomplish anything alone. Even though I work for myself, I, I have two people that, that uh, I've hired to work with me, so I don't work alone alone, but I'm fairly alone. I work from my house. Um, I, I don't accomplish things alone. I have customers, I have partners, coaches that I certify. I can't advance the work I'm doing by myself. And so when someone says, well, you know, you're just, you're too sensitive or, um Nobody else has given me this feedback before. They kind of reject the, the feedback about how they're presenting in the world. Um, you really have to say, well, be that as it may, if you don't agree with that feedback, this is the perception people have. So how do you want to manage that? Because you have to manage the perceptions people have, whether or not you agree with their opinions or their feedback. So self-awareness is huge for a lot of reasons, not just relationships and and communication and emotional intelligence is one of the number one things that people complain about when they talk to me about their boss, for example, lack of it. Um, but you you need self-awareness to even know who you are to know where you fit in the world. So what should I be doing with my life? How should I be spending my time? What, what are my priorities? What's important to me? Who should I be spending time with? Um, what are the types of endeavors that I should be investing in and careers that I should pursue. If you don't know who you are, it's, it's not just the relationship impact of not being able to have effective relationships with people, but you'll put your, your, your um, career ladder on the wrong wall. And not just your career ladder, really your entire life won't line up to who you're meant to be.
0: Well, and oh my gosh, everything you just said was just phenomenal. And I I have like five different (laughs) topics I want to go on now, but I think the immediate one I I want to ask you is that last bit that you just said, it's really interesting how I talk to people who they can't answer two questions about themselves, what they're passionate about, or or who they are are as a person. (laughs) And how do I fit in the world? Like what, I love your expression of what do I put my ladder on? And, Mm -hmm. and it's interesting to me how people, it's like that, that internal why of, of, you know, and not to sound like cliche of like my purpose in life, but that's kind of what it is. It's, it's, it's who am I and how do I fit? And it's, you know, you have, you can take the self-awareness conversation on one end of that person's really abrasive or hard to work with or whatever. But even on like the core of identity, it feels like there's a group of people out there who they just, they just don't know the answer to those questions. They don't know, you know, and I guess this is like, you know. Inner and in UMAP, but but it's it's just interesting to me, especially people in their twenties and thirties who still aren't really clear.
1: Oh, I mean, and 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 you shouldn't feel bad about that because the saying that I always say is it's um, hard to read the label when you're inside the jar. You just you're too close to yourself to be objective. Mm, and
0: given like the fact,
1: yeah, given the fact that you were born with your talents you tend to take them for granted as well. You don't really see them as strengths because they come easy to you. And we don't tend to value easy. If something's easy, it can't be worth much. Mm. And and that's true in most cases. Anything that's that's worth something is never easy. Marriage isn't easy. Raising children isn't easy. Uh, rising in your career isn't easy. <laughs> Learning to play an instrument isn't easy. And uh, Being a professional athlete. Any, anything that you're pursuing, an endeavor that you're pursuing, especially when you add people into the mix, is difficult. And so we can't accept that the gift of our strengths is easy for us to use. They can't be worth much. They can't have value. And that's just really the farthest thing from, from the truth. But, but you shouldn't feel bad about it because Benjamin Franklin once said that the, um, the, hardest, the three hardest things are steel, diamond, and to know oneself. And Ben Franklin was a really smart guy, <laughs> and a very accomplished guy. And he was saying back, that back in the 1700s. So like, if he thinks that's difficult, I mean, who am I, right? I didn't even invent the post office. <laughs> so, but but uh, the point of all of that is to say, um, it's, it's normal to not know who you are. That's, that's the beauty of life is, is pursuing that question of who am I and really knowing your values is the easiest access point to answer that question, but who encourages you to do that when you're in school or your family or, or your employer? No one asks you what's most important to you. Mm-hmm. They say, what do you want to be when you grow up? That's the number one question that kids get asked. Why aren't we asking them questions about who they are first, not about where do you want to stick yourself in the, in the puzzle of the world, but what's your puzzle piece and what fits you? We need to start asking kids questions about what are you, what do you care about? Or what makes you happy? Or what what are the types of things that you do that just delight you? Not what job do you want to have someday? They love- can't answer that question. Forty year olds can't answer that half the time.
0: <laughs> well, and it's I think it's what leads to like the midlife crisis is you 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 attached yourself to the the what, and then the what didn't fulfill you. And it's like, well, I never really asked myself what made me happy or what my natural giftings were. And I I love how you articulated that too, of like. Yeah, I think you're so right in that we have it backwards and you know, when we understand our why of who we are as a person and what we want to do in life, the what really doesn't matter. I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't. it's just the mode of how we fulfill the why, but if we never figure out the why, then I guess we're always kind of seeking and searching for that meaning. Right. That's- yeah.
1: We, we look for what, and then, Oh, that's not working. So what's the next what? And what's the next what? And we're just like, what, what whating our way through life. <laughs>
0: Well and it's it's part of the reason why millennials change jobs so often is because I think millennials are so in tune with that why and being yeah. in especially recognizing when they're unfulfilled.
1: Yeah. And I think it was even
0: LinkedIn that had some sort of survey that talked about millennials will change jobs seven times in twelve years, which just seems astronomical, but it's 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 because well this exactly what you just said, this what didn't work, Well this what didn't work. and so I'm constantly seeking for, again that fulfillment.
1: Well, I think also is, you know, we have moved from survival. When you look back in generations, people were trying to survive. It was very common for people to work six days a week, 12 to 14 hours a day. You had Sunday off, you went to church and spent time with your family. And that was life. And there was so much time spent on surviving and getting by that as our life has gotten easier, we have more time to go inward and reflect and think about things more than just putting food on the table or, or keeping the lights on or what have you. And so there are good and bad <laughs> of that. Like we have people navel gazing and coming out with like some outrageous things in our culture right now, like this outrage culture of oh my if, gosh. if a, I don't know who, oh, oh, like, people going crazy over, like, Bo Derek braiding her hair in that movie she was in, 10 or whatever. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, this is what we're worrying about. But yeah. because we have more time on our hands and life is easier, we can start worrying about, like, minutia. Hmm. But the good side of that is we become more self-reflective because we have a little bit more space to do that. Unless you're on your cell phone all the time and you have no personal white space. <laughs> but- <laughs> But honestly, uh, I did read an article by Gallup that said exactly what you're saying. Gallup did a poll and they found out that millennials are far more values driven than previous generations.
0: Hmm. Wow. Well, I I love and I think maybe I feel like you put something out on LinkedIn recently about values. Um, It's something that's been really big for my own business of helping people understand their values. Can I ask you what some of your values are?
1: Uh, yes, my number one value is love and connection with other people. My number two value is making a difference in people's lives. My number three value is autonomy, and my number four value is having fun.
0: So, how do some of those values, what does that look like? Like exemplify it in like your day-to-day?
1: So I limit the travel I do for speaking, especially international travel. I'll only do one international trip per year and one out- of town speaking trip per quarter because I get out of sorts if I'm not connected to my family and so I don't I don't say yes to a whole lot of travel in fact I have more travel this summer than I would like but they're short trips overnight trips but extended trips like more than three days um, I will only do one a quarter usually mm. I have actually two next quarter but that just uh, That's another story so love and connection autonomy I'm very careful when I collaborate um, because (laughs) I like people don't get me wrong I love people and I love helping people but at this point in my life I don't like the millions of brainstorming meetings where we're trying to come up with consensus in a direction and because I have a very clear vision of what I'm trying to accomplish So sometimes collaboration, um, can, it's not that it slows me down. It's just that I know what I'm trying to accomplish and I, to, in order to collaborate with other people, we have to really be on the same page. So I'm very careful in who I collaborate with and that we are on the same page. We have the same goals. And for, for fun, I just, I laugh like 500 times a day.
0: What, what, what is, I want to back up. What, what is your purpose? What's your vision? What are you trying to do?
1: I'm trying to help people love Monday. It drives me, two things just drive me. I hate that people are born, live, and die, never unwrapping the unique gifts that they have to contribute to the world. That makes me crazy because everyone is a one in infinity person. Because only one in 33 million people have the same top five strengths finder results. And if you layer in people's context you know their experiences their own values what they're good at their personality what their passions are there's no one that has ever lived before or after you that's like you and so it, it makes me nuts that the world was deprived of what you had to offer hmm. and the second thing that drives me crazy is that people settle they they go into some situation that they hate they're not using their strengths it doesn't align to their values it, it, it demotivates them their their health is affected and they think that's that's all there is, that there, there's no other choice. Uh, just those two things, not giving your gifts to the world and settling. Uh, just, I can't even tell you, like, I, I lose sleep over this sometimes, like thinking about it if I dwell on it too much.
0: And, and why does it feel like, this is my own bias, but it feels like people are very good at recognizing when they're in, um, I don't know the word, I guess, disharmony with certain circumstances. And they they know they're settling and yet they are very passive on changing those. Like a great, a good example would be a friend of mine who he absolutely hates his job, hates it, hates his boss, hates his, his industry. He finds no fulfillment in it. And I was like, what are you going to do about it? And he's like, well, I guess I'll work there for another five years. And I just oh, thought, I'm I'm <laughs> I just thought I'm ready to
1: drive know. to his house and shake some shake him yeah. silly. Well, honestly, just- let me tell you, let me tell you, Blake. The reason I'm so passionate about this is because I cracked the puzzle in my own life. I was working in these jobs and on paper, I looked very successful as making six figures, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Like people say, I can't not do this because of the money. But when, when you actually look where the rubber meets the road, that's not what makes people happy. It's not what they care about. You can take... Uh, uh if you're making six figures, you can take a $15,000 pay cut and figure out how to not be homeless. I promise you. <laughs> you know, you can figure it out. Stop going to Starbucks. <laughs> Don't spend $500 on your kid's birthday party. Like, you can figure it out. Yeah. And I get so, like, worked up over this. I'm sorry, but... Oh,
0: no, no, that, that one-year-old birthday party is really important. Oh, uh,
1: <laughs> I couldn't... Gonna... <laughs> but, but, yeah, I mean... you're I I was doing that I was doing that I was telling myself oh I can't quit this job because I won't make as much money and it's like hilarious because when you pursue what you're really good at and you're really passionate about people get drawn to you they're like whoa you are in the zone with what you're doing they see it I don't care if you are a book editor if you are a video creator of of content video content if you're good at something, you get people's attention, and then people are drawn to you, whether that's an employer or whether it's a customer. And I find it hilarious that I was afraid to quit my job because I wouldn't make as much money. I I, I don't like to talk about my salary specifically, but let's just say I'm doing better than the job I was afraid to leave because I'm walking in my purpose.
0: Mm. And that's powerful. Yeah. Well. And maybe we can, we can go, we can unpack that story a little bit because a lot of times people are very good at, there's, there's often this gap in the storytelling where someone will say, you know, you see where someone is today and they're this really awe-inspiring figure and, you know, all the credentials are there, you know, even for yourself, you know, career consultant, number one book on Amazon, all these different things that are incredibly impressive about you. And then people will also tell the story of like the circumstances before Of like oh I was so unhappy I was doing this but there's often like this gap there and I and I'd love to hear kind of your entrepreneurial journey because I think that's really powerful to some people of how did how did you go from you take the leap you know you quit the job to now being successful as you are and obviously there's you know you're I'm sure you're hungry for even more success but what happened in that gap how did you get to where you are today
1: so first of all I I I was planful. I didn't just walk in and say, take this job and shove it. And then wing winging a prayer. Let's hope this works. So I, um, I'm married to a very conscientious and methodical and deliberative man. He, he is a software architect, information security architect. So he's by nature, a conscientious and cautious person. So I knew that I couldn't just go doing something crazy and spontaneous and not give him like a total aneurysm. So I had to kind of lay out a plan. Um, I I was more planful to be respectful of him. So I started to save money and I saved six months of my expenses. He pays some of the bills. I pay some of the bills. And, um, so I saved six months of expenses and I started a side hustle. So I I started to talk to people who had started, who started businesses. What are the things I need to think about? What are the, what are the basic things I need to do to get up and running? Because the biggest mistake I see people make is they think they have to have everything right out of the box and then they exhaust all their funds on the fancy website and all of those things. So I figured out what are the bare bone things that I must have to to operate so I can get up and running and I went and did all those things and I got support where I needed help people who knew what they were doing and I didn't know I asked them for help I bartered and traded services um, to get what I needed when I didn't have the funds there were lots of people who would be interested in getting assessments or having a coaching session with me and and then in return can you help me figure out the messaging for my website You know, things like that so I got everything I needed and I started uh, doing clients at night because I was working during the day, which worked out great because most of the people I worked with had a job and they wanted to talk to me at night anyway. Well, I got to the point where I was working 80 hours a week because I was working my day job and I was working my night job and it was getting too stressful. So I decided to, to quit my day job at that point when I had six months of expenses saved and I couldn't sustain working both jobs anymore and something had to give So I put in my notice, quit my day job, and pitched the idea of a contract with my current employer to do consulting work with them. And I ended up getting a $25,000 contract to do coaching with the company and did that for three years. So that really was nice seed money to help me as my business grew. But I'm not going to lie, I made $48,000 my first year with a $25,000 contract (laughs) with my company. So I needed those six months of expenses, and I had to keep hustling. So basically, if you're not passionate about your entrepreneurial venture, you're not going to be the ambassador that you need to be to grow your company. I am not a natural salesy person, but I'm passionate about what I do. So I can talk to anybody about it and not come across like I'm trying to sell them anything, because I'm not. I care about people's Monday joy. I want them to have that good feeling when they go to the job Not that dread in the pit of their stomach and I care so much about that And so I care about you as a person when I talk to you about that. So anywhere I went I would ask people What do you do for work and do you love it? What do you love about it? What do you wish were better? What you know better or more of what would you change if you could wave a magic wand? What would be different? Well, what might you do to make that happen? And I would just sort of coach people everywhere I went And that's what got people thinking about me when someone they knew, you know, I talked to, I met this woman at this thing for my kid's school. She was there too. And she was, I think she could help you. And so I created other ambassadors talking about what I was doing because I was so passionate about it and really believed in it. So if you just say, oh, I think I'd like to do whatever I'm doing at work that I don't really like for myself. So I don't have this boss I don't really like. And you're no less, you know, no more passionate about it, your business may struggle because if you don't really believe in what you're doing, you're not gonna be able to to really create that traction you need to, to get it off the ground.
0: Well and and what how many years ago? I mean what, what was the first year that with the 48 grand? I mean, when you quit your job, you started your business like a, like full time doing your business? What year was that? Yeah.
1: So, so I set up the business in 2013 and then didn't really do anything with it. And then at the end of 2014, I took my first client Yeah. and that was in November. And I quit my job seven months later in June of 2000. Is that seven months? <laughs> June of 2015. So that 2015 year was the $48,000 year. And then the next year I I matched my, my, my salary from my other job.
0: Well, what's really, what's really funny about your story is I talk to, I talk to people who are so out of touch with the, the actual entrepreneurial journey. And there's some very good marketers out there too, who will convince you that you can go to, you know, from zero to seven figures in six months, but listening to you That's and ridiculous. seeing it is ridiculous. But, and I think what's frustrating for me since I work with a lot of entrepreneurs is the naivety of someone not realizing how much, and I love what you talked about of, of putting a plan in place and being very strategic about it, but, but mm-hmm. especially the timing of it all and that it, it took years to really grow this thing into something that, you know, yeah, it, take, are, it takes
1: two years to really two years to really get the flow of clients where you don't, where you don't wonder, am I going to starve? It, it, <laughs> it takes two years. It really does. And, and I, and I already had experience with what I was doing. I was doing career coaching for six years already um, in volunteer work. And I got certified in 2007 as a career coach in my company. So I had a butt ton of experience. I had I had coached hundreds and hundreds of people before I started my business. So I was coming in with expertise already. And so what happens is people will start a business and they'll put a couple posts on LinkedIn and they'll say, what's going on here? I'm not getting any business. And I'm like, this is a farmer's game. (laughs) Don't go out there and plant tomato seeds and go out the next morning and put your hands on your hip and say, where the hell are all the tomatoes? You know, you are out there, you are out there planting and watering and planting and watering and weeding and watering and hoeing and raking and doing all of those things. And months later, here comes a little green shoot and you have to keep nurturing it because it'll wither and die if you don't. So you, you are out there like a farmer and, the, and, and it's, it's so, 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 so reap, not so reap. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Or, or, you know, what's the hack to reap tomorrow when it, you know, like what's the, I guess, it, honestly, it's, it's, how do you get rich quick? And understand it's not
1: not a microwave meal. It's a crock pot meal.
0: Mm, I love that. And if, if I can push you on your authenticity a little bit, do you remember in your journey, your lowest point?
1: I had $5 in my checking account and I was sitting on my bed, looking at my laptop going, I have my son's, uh, tuition coming out of my bank account in two days. I have five bucks and I took the money out of his savings account to pay for it, mm. and that was my low point. I'm like, I'm stealing from my son's <laughs>
0: savings account. I hope he p- never watches this tuition. one.
1: day. What's that?
0: I hope he never watches this one day.
1: Well, I put it back and no, and then kidding. some, yeah. so he doesn't know. I mean, that was money I had put in.
0: Right. No, I'm just <laughs> but,
1: still, yeah. but still, no. I literally borrowed money from three of my children's savings account to piece together my son's tuition.
0: Well, and I felt like a terrible mother. Well, and it's, it's, it's so, it's, it really, it's so important to be, I love what you said about being passionate about your work. Cause it feels like in those low points and I don't even mean like, you know, oh, I'm having a bad day. I mean like low points, like despair, like what am I doing? I'm ruining my family. What have I done? It feels like if that passion isn't there, if that deep drive to make an impact of what you're doing isn't there, you're not going to make it long term you're not going to survive through those you
1: will you will quit on yourself faster than other people quit on you for sure if you don't believe in what you're doing and that that's why I say to people like you have to have that self awareness to know. Does what you're trying to do even line up with, with who you are? Are you even suited for this? And it really drives me crazy when people are out there trying to t- talk everyone into becoming an entrepreneur, when they say, anyone can be an entrepreneur, anyone can work for themselves. That is the biggest load of garbage <clears throat> that is being pushed out there right now. And I've I've had... I don't really debate people, but I've had debates on this one because it's dangerous pushing people into that sort of thing. There are people whose number one value is security. Do you think that a person who the number one thing that's the most important thing in the world to them being security isn't going to have a total nervous breakdown being an entrepreneur? Yeah. Right. It it doesn't fit some people's values. There are people that I have literally met who have said the more routine my life is, the better. I love routine work. And I love, I want to get a job for a company, work there for 30 years, do the same routine every day. And that will make me happy. And I'm withering inside hearing that even spoken because I'm not wired that way, but you have to respect that people are very different They have different strengths and abilities. They have different values. And so when people are out there peddling this one-size-fits-all advice, you need to go and do this and you need to go and do that. I'm like, I don't think so. You're not thinking about how people are wired. And your advice is working up some people and getting them all fired up because they want that. But that doesn't resonate with a lot of people.
0: Well, and I think it's it's about having a – I don't know the wording for it, but it's like, it's like having a strong conscience on your influence in the sense of as you're encouraging people in the back of your mind, recognizing that it doesn't work for everybody. And, and, you know, I know some people who they've gone on to be in financial ruin because they were pushed, you know, yeah, you can do it. And they weren't suited for it. And when you challenge the person who encouraged them, they're like, well, that's, that's their fault that it didn't work. And it's like, no, like you really, you really like push them into this. And so I, it feels like there's a, and I don't know if it's called, if it's your conscience, I don't know what it is, but there's a line somewhere where it's like, you're being mindful of your influence. You know, it's for influence yeah. people to do what, and I don't, I'm just now formulating this in my head. So I don't even really know what I mean. I honest. know
1: exactly what you're saying. There is some advice that does apply to everyone. Like everyone should endeavor to know who they are. Everyone should know what's most important to them. So I don't feel bad peddling that message to know what your values are so you can align your life to them because every human being that applies to, but to be out there pushing the message that every person that walks the planet should be a vegan or a Buddhist or, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's when it gets dicey when, when you're putting your values-based ideals onto other people.
0: You're so right. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it feels like this is a great segue, I think, into UMAP in that, you know, you're helping people discover things about themselves. I'm really curious about how you got to the point of creating UMAP into what it is today. And I'd love for you maybe to give a little bit of explanation as to what it is to our listeners. But, you know, just to preface this, it feels like and when I did corporate consulting, I could talk about any topic and you'd have people who'd be like moderately engaged. Some people not engaged, but anytime I talked about personality, the room would light up. It'd be like, Oh my gosh, I really want to know about who I am. Mm -hmm. And so you, you've obviously engaged in a niche that has a lot of excitement around it, but I, I just can't get over how titanic a task it was when you, I'm sure when you started creating this thing, like I'm going to create this personality assessment and it's going to be great. And it's, walk me through that like what is it how did you make it let's let's unpack it a little bit
1: so i am what i call the accidental entrepreneur i (laughs) i was just looking i i distinguish between a business owner and an entrepreneur so i have a product and i am an entrepreneur i don't really consider somebody who decides to become a consultant for themselves i don't really call that person an entrepreneur i know that that's broadly used for people who work for themselves And I'm not saying you have to have a product per se, but I didn't consider myself an entrepreneur when I was a coach and I was coaching people and that was that. I think I became an entrepreneur when I created UMAP, but I didn't create it on purpose. I created it out of a need. So first of all, I knew I wanted to coach people and I started testing different instruments and tools and processes And I started to have a lot of problems with clients losing things, not knowing which document I was referencing, because I would put them through these different assessments that were out there already. And my client could potentially have seven files, you know, the three files that came with this assessment and the two that came with that one and two with that one. And so I'd go to debrief them or have a session and I'd say, okay, we need this particular document from this assessment. And they'd say, Oh, is it the one that says, you know, this on top? No, that's your that's your strengths assessment. I'm looking for the disc work of leaders. No, not disc workplace, work of leaders. That's the big five. We're looking, and it was like this who's on first routine with my clients, just trying to figure out which tools. Oh, I'm sorry, I was supposed to do that assessment. I did the values. We're talking about personality today, and it was just this, it was really challenging for some of my clients to do the right assessment for the right session and have the right file, and then they would lose all their files. I can't find this document anymore. Do you know where this one is? I only have this one. You get the idea. And I thought, this is crazy, I I can't do this. So I created a Word document, and I started putting the summary of the results into one file. And I would put the headline, you know, here's your information about your strengths. And over time I figured out what tools really got down to what the person needed to know. I stopped using tools that I was like, you know what, they're paying for this, but it's kind of fluff. I can what I tried to do was get down to what were the fewest things I need to know about a person to get a holistic picture of kind of who they were and how they show up in the world from a career perspective. And as I talked to people, I would listen to what they would say and I started taking notes. I started to take notes on every person that called me in the, in the prospective client call that the first consult. I would take notes on what they would tell me why they were unhappy in their career. And I started to create theme categories and everything kept falling onto these four buckets, nothing else. And so I started to call it the four pillars of career satisfaction. So that's what came first. And then I would have this word document and they're like, okay, I need to know what someone's natural talents are. We need to know that their strengths. I need to know their values because I would have people that would go into jobs that fit them perfectly and it would be a train wreck. And it was because there was a values violation with their manager or the culture or even the job itself. So we needed to know their values and their talents and we needed to know the skills they enjoyed using because um, they might be doing something that burned them out, for example. And so 18 months in, they're like, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to have to go out on stress leave. And then their personality always needs to be taken into account. So those were the four pillars. And so I had it in this document and I thought, you know, I kept pasting from other people's assessments and I thought, well, I'm going to create some of my own. So I created my own values exercise. I created my own skills assessment. And then I thought, well, if I'm going to give people this stuff in this word document, I might as well make it look nice. So I hired Crystal Davis who Crystal Davis used to work with me at my old company, and she worked on the graphics team, and she has all of these, you know, PowerPoint and document presentations, annual reports. She would do them for the executive, so she's really great with graphic design, and she created UMAP and that human figure that you see on the UMAP profile. So then I thought, well, you know, now it looks professional because I'm a maximizer, and I like things to be good. So then I had this And then I said to my husband, well, we might as well automate this so that people can take the assessments online and it goes into the document itself because I was copying and pasting data in there. i just kept maximizing it. And then coaches started to see it and recruiters started to see it. Where did you get this thing? Well, I made it. What?
0: (laughs) I'm
1: like, well, it's not as impressive as it sounds because it was quite an evolution (laughs) to get to that point. It's not like I woke up inspiring like, I'm going to build this. This amazing automated, it it didn't come to be quite like that. And so then people started calling me and saying, how did you know which assessments to choose? Well, I created them. How did you know to create those? Well, I talked to about 2000 people and I listened to their stories and I broke out what the core things were that people needed to think about for their career to fulfill them. It came from other people's information to me. I didn't pick what do I think people should know about themselves. They told me. And so... Then I thought, well, all these coaches are wanting to know about this. I better figure out a way to, so that they can use it too. Well, I can't just give it to people and have them be like a total hack and not know how to, to debrief people. I might as well create a certification. And so everything just kind of evolved and in, into what it is today, just accidentally by need.
0: Well, and I love your story of how the the process of iteration and, and again, it, it it's so countercultural to the entrepreneurial, like sexy dream of like you build it as it is and it's amazing, but understanding how you iterated it over time to become this amazing thing it is today. I think that's very real.
1: Yeah. And I will tell you, my husband gets the props for that. My husband is a senior software consultant at Microsoft and my husband wouldn't let me automate it at first. He said, no, he said, you can't do that. He said that's what bankrupts entrepreneurs they build the technology before they have the demand mm. he said do things manually as long as you can until the demand makes it so that it's, it's there's no ROI in doing it that way anymore and I thought that was dumb I was like that's dumb like why would I do things manually and he was right so once people started to buy things and pay for things. They're, that stream of revenue is what started paying for the automation instead of me bankrupting my savings to pay for the automation upfront. And what I thought was ridiculous advice, I then shared with other entrepreneurs, like people like Bob Sager, who's been an entrepreneur for like 30 something years. He said, that was brilliant advice your husband gave you. And if I didn't respect my husband so much, I would have blown it off and just done what I wanted to do anyway. But I would say that that piece of advice alone financially saved my business. Wow.
0: Spouses are so frustrating in that way. And my wife will say, you should do this. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. And then I end, up, <laughs> I end up doing it, you know, six months later. I'm like, that was a great idea. Why didn't I? <laughs> She's like, I know. So, well, I, you know, I, I love the story. And there's something specific about UMAP I want to ask you about. Uh, Krista Molion on LinkedIn had tagged you yesterday and said that there's a big emotional intelligence piece to your UMAP assessment. And I'd love to hear more about that. Uh, Some of our listeners might not even be fully aware of what even EQ is or what emotional intelligence is. Can you speak a little bit to that?
1: Yeah. So I love Justin Bariso's definition. He's the author of EQ Applied, which is a really great book. He's a a contributor uh, to inc.com. And Justin Bariso defined it as, he's done a ton of EQ research, but um, making your emotions work for you instead of against you. It's the simplest definition, but it's really quite true. And you can actually use those for for evil as well as for good. A lot of people have this kind of halo effect over EQ, but you can be emotionally intelligent and use it in a manipulative way, which I pushed back against when he first said that, but he won me over um, after reading his book. But all that to say, there are different uh, traits that contribute to being more emotionally intelligent. Um, they are, like we would say, a soft skill because we're talking about emotions. And some people will write off emotions and say emotions don't matter. But I, and I'm a logical person. I have four of five of my themes are thinking strengths. So I am a thinker, but I believe in the importance of emotion from a brain-based perspective. I have a degree in neuroscience and I also am a master certified trainer in brain-based coaching. And so I studied the brain a lot. And in my studies, I learned that when people's area of the brain gets damaged that are responsible for emotion, they, they can no longer make decisions. So a decision like, where do you want to go for dinner? Someone who has that brain damage can't tell you. They'll talk for an hour about the pros and cons, but they can't then move into the emotion Part and actually make the decision. So people who say emotions don't matter, logic is all that's important, from a, the, the brain science says that's actually incorrect. So all that to say, there are certain people who are going to be wired naturally to be somewhat more emotionally intelligent than other people, um, but that doesn't mean that everyone can't learn it. The difficulty with emotional intelligence is it's not something that you learn in a textbook or in a classroom because you're talking about emotions, you have to experience those emotions and then make decisions on how to react to those emotions in actual situations, like an employee that's challenging you or a boss that is criticizing you in a meeting. I mean, those responses, you have to be in those situations and practice your reactions to actually build those muscles. It's not something you're gonna learn in a class. And that's why it's so hard to learn. So the UMAP will give you a foundation to understand is my personality tendency one that I listen or one that I want to do all the talking is my personality such that I uh, can understand or put myself into another person's shoes or do I tend to only consider my own <laughs> feelings in this situation so you will see um, according to someone's natural talents and personality how they tend to be oriented that lens like there's a correlation with emotional intelligence, but there's not a specific emotional intelligence section in the UMAP. You can just see what someone's potential challenges are. For example, you will see if all the interpersonal skills are burnout for someone, chances are they're gonna struggle with, with some of the emotional intelligence issues in the workplace if they have no um, skills really preferred in, in
0: interpersonal skills. Well, and it feels like we have a lot of work to do too. And this is a personal soapbox of mine. We have a lot of work to do to really push the conversation forward in that there are some companies that are very open to this conversation of EQ and you know, let's train our managers, let's train our people. But then it feels like the majority is still, and I don't know if it's just, if it's really what it is, but when you start talking about it, it is kind of like this, oh, that's fluffy. Oh, that's Emotions don't impact revenue and they, they fail to see the connection between someone's EQ and then their ability to collaborate or to have a positive, productive culture. And so they are incapable of actually recognizing, no, actually you're, you're killing your revenue or you're, you're putting out a really crappy product because people don't like working here. They're not really, and it all comes back to this conversation of EQ, but it's, it feels like it's hard to, to get that in the public limelight outside of well-known influencers like Gary Vee, who it's been his it's kind of been his thing especially in the last 6 months you know how do we how do we push that conversation forward
1: well i think you have to to
0: make it relate to people with what's in it for
1: me you always have to deal with the what's in it for me and you have to help people understand how it's going to help them And to know that, you have to know what what motivates people. So dominance-driven people who are task-oriented are going to be motivated by getting results. And, And so how can you demonstrate that investing time in their emotional intelligence and the development of that is going to get them better results? So people who are interested, more conscientious people are interested in stability and quality, And how are people going to be more likely to give you the quality result that you need that you're working with? um, Or how are you going to create a more stable work environment if people are working together effectively? So you have to look to what people prioritize, what their needs and motivations are, and speak to those. And every person is different. So to just throw a blanket of, oh, you'll get along better with people. Some people don't prioritize getting along with people, but they do prioritize getting results. Mm. So it's really the messaging needs to be tailored to the different temperaments of people and what they value. And and I would say also using analogy is helpful for people to see connections. So when people say, oh, emotions don't matter and all this fluffy stuff – um, do you think a lack of logic is why the divorce rate is so high because there was a lack of logic like it, no i mean it was emotions and and things like that 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 caused that caused divorce and people to separate so you can look to other areas of your life and realize that's the case it wasn't a skill problem oh i didn't like the way my wife unloaded the dishwasher so i divorced her <laughs> you know, that's not that's not what's going on here so i oh, think no. that it's really like helping people understand how it will benefit them based on how they're wired. And really, you don't have to come up with like 7 billion combinations of that messaging. There's really only the four core temperaments that you have to deal with. And then helping people understand parallels where they can see other areas of life where it can benefit them and what the problems result when, they're not, when they don't have those skills.
0: Well, answering that question, what's in it for me is, I think you're so right. It's so crucial. And, and I think sometimes we, its maybe it's not fair to say like we expect too much of people. It's just that people can't latch on to something if they don't see how it impacts them. And I was actually, I remember I was doing like a leadership training program to this fortune in our area. And the HR manager kept saying, Blake, you have to, you don't have the component of what's in it for me. And I was like, well, they should just want to be better leaders. They should just want to yeah. be you know why would I need to do that, and I think at the time i realized I realized now is just naivety of just expecting people to latch onto to something where if they can 't draw that connection, not even it 's not selfish, but people have to understand this is why this is important for me for them to really connect with it
1: yeah, and I think that that hiring really needs to take EQ into consideration. If you want to have an organizational uh, culture of emotionally intelligent employees, you need to hire emotionally intelligent leaders and not just look at their experience and skills and results. And I think we are so bottom line focused, that financial bottom line focused in a lot of organizations that they don't investigate the emotional intelligence through the hiring process.
0: Well, I I talked to a guy who he just became this new like branch manager. And I said, well, tell me about yourself. And he said, well, you know, I've had 25 years in the industry. And I just thought that really means nothing to me. You know, I mean, it's I guess for some people, it's a really great qualifier. Like, oh, no,
1: wow. it could be one year done 25 times. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's exactly right. But we, I think you're right that we, we latch on to those bottom line metrics sometimes instead of really seeing who is this person and what are they going to, how are their values going to uh, facilitate how the team operates?
1: Yeah, one of the things that I coach job seekers to ask a new manager is, can you tell me how you contributed to a team member's success or growth um, in the past six months? And if that person looks at you like with a deer in a headlight look, they don't even know what you're talking about. So you know they've got the door closed, head down, working. So many managers move into a role and function as an individual contributor with a manager title. And it's, it's really hard to find good leaders because we're not wired to be leaders. A lot of times people forget that. Hmm. Gallup has has said that if you look at managers, only 1 in 10 people are wired naturally to manage people well, which means 9 out of 10 of us, uh, myself included, <laughs> had to learn how to be a good manager. It's not something that just spontaneously happens when you get the title. And what's worse is two-thirds of people who find themselves in a manager role have had no training
0: whatsoever. Which Which doesn't really... I think you're right, but it doesn't really make sense. It's like, why would you, why would you put someone in a management role, but then not, not actually then train them and develop them. And it's amazing how, how simple that concept is. Obviously it makes sense, but yet a lot of owners or C-suite people, they, they don't facilitate that training.
1: No, and I think reason. because they rewarded that strong performance as an individual contributor, but being a manager of people is a completely different different skill set than what they were doing as an individual contributor. And that's really what explains the Peter Principle, you know, that people rise to their level of incompetence. That's really what happens because they're rewarded for their behavior in the role they were performing before and not evaluated for their potential for success in the role that you're putting them into.
0: Well, and it makes me think of a salesperson I knew who got put into he became the manager of the sales team because he was the number one salesperson. The only problem was he was a really awful boss and he actually got, he ended up getting fired which well when you
1: think about what are the qualities that make a person a really good salesperson they're usually they're usually really really competitive they're usually extremely autonomous and work really well independently and they're extremely numbers focused and measurement focused and goal oriented. Um, it's not that they're the best, the top salesperson because they love to sit and listen to your problems and <laughs> you come up with solutions. Usually yeah. not.
0: Yeah. Well, something else I want to ask you about, especially just seeing you in the full swing of things and, and obviously getting a lot of success with your business. You, you put out a video and I, I think this might be the first thing that really, um, made me click to your content was you put out a video uh it might have been maybe like four or five months ago but I've really admired your authenticity in the video but also it, it got me thinking you put out a video that talked about your daughter
1: I knew you were going to talk about the time <laughs> I cried in the car I just knew it
0: <laughs> I just I just thought I thought wow this is someone who is comfortable enough to be honest on the journey. Oh, I
1: was not comfortable posting that video.
0: Let's be very clear. <laughs> um, comfortable enough to post it. And yeah, comfortable and trans-
1: enough that I uh, hit post. But yeah, it,
0: it was very. I I don't have any kids. I have a dog. So, <laughs> but I I, I found myself really admiring it, and I thought, man, I don't even have kids, and I just really it. It was very vulnerable of you. It was really admirable of you. But but again, since we're kind of unpacking these things that aren't very sexy about entrepreneurship. <laughs> You've obviously figured out how challenging it is to balance, and, and, and I don't even really want to go the route of like, let's talk work, work-life balance, but, you know, really navigating the cost of success and, and the cost of impact and the cost of living out your values. I'd love if you could maybe share a little bit more about that or or kind of unpack that a little bit.
1: Yeah. So just for your listeners, what happened was my five-year-old daughter came to me and she was asking me to do something and I was under the gun for a deliverable and I told her I couldn't do it, whatever it was. And she said, you never play with me. That's what she said to me, which of course is not accurate. That's hyperbole. (laughs) (laughs) We don't always or never do anything. Sure. But her words really penetrated me and and made me feel uh, really uh, in that moment. Um, in, insufficient as a mom and so I'm like here I am slaying it in the business world but really dropping the ball as a parent and so of course the first thing you have to do is remember that my daughter's feelings matter but she is also five and so her perspective can be a little skewed <laughs> because she evaluates really my entire parenting capability on, on that day on the calendar <laughs> right. so you know, I had a, a conversation with my husband and just really kind of people that I trusted and you know before doing that video and and really came to the conclusion that what you need to do in your life is really be true to what's important and then do your best to prioritize so I have since Uh, decided that in the summer, on Monday and Friday mornings, I'm going to take my kids to the park or do something with them. And so I still might work more hours than I spend with them. But the time that I am spending with them, I'm not looking at my device. I'm not working. I'm spending really good quality time. And they look forward to those Monday mornings and and Fridays. And during the work week, I admittedly don't have – I'm there – You know, they're, they're in the room. They can come in and hug me when they feel like it. I'll go and hug them. But I might color with them for a few minutes, but I try to try to spend time where I can and make it count. But I also recognize that I have been given a mission too. And I think that we as a society focus on me and my own so much. And yes, I'm responsible for my, my children, I'm not just having them parent themselves. My husband is very involved in their lives and he reads to them every night and he puts them to bed while I'm working. So they're, they're getting everything they need. It's not like they're, the TV is babysitting them or anything like that. My husband really picks up my slack there. Um, but my, my bottom line point is I am not wired to believe that all that matters is me and mine. And that's okay if someone listening to this does believe that, that their kids are more important than every other person's kids, or their family is more important than other people in the world. I just happen to not believe that. Just because my kids are genetically related to me, and so I have this bias towards them, I don't think that they deserve better opportunities in life than other people's children. And so I'm getting my message out there. I'm getting... The self-awareness that you have gifts and you have value, and you can make a much bigger impact in your corner of the world than you realize. And I feel that that message is more important than making my kids feel like they're the center of the world. Mm. And I'm unapologetic for that.
0: Well, it's it's there's two things I think about. Is I love how you're so unapologetically committed to your impact. You know, it's, it's, it's understanding the scope of, of man, I can really impact so many people. So I have to throw myself fully into that. And the second thing I think about, I don't know if it was Tony Robbins or I don't know who said it, but they talked about how it's really, it's quality over quantity. So it's not the number of hours that you're spending with them, but getting that really intentional time. And I love hearing about how you've, you've developed that through time at the par coloring or what have you, um, because it's, it's. I think sometimes we have, we we force ourselves to choose either. I have the family or I have the impact and maybe that's a limiting belief. Maybe you don't have to choose, right? Like maybe, and it sounds like you've figured that out. You've kind of nailed the system for that.
1: Well, I think we need to stop being so critical of ourselves too. I mean, it's not, I mean, we've gotten to the point where it's like if we're not making our kids the center of our every minute that we're, we're neglecting them. I mean, that that's just simply not the case. My kids are very independent. My daughter is five years old and cleans her own room without being asked to because she's, she's used to having a lot of, you know, we're both here. My husband and I work from home, but she's used to having quite a lot of leeway in how she spends her time. I don't schedule her every minute of her day. And she's a very productive young woman. I suppose she's probably wired that way with her personality. But my kids are turning out just fine. I mean, and I, and I think that women need to stop criticizing each other. I mean, I, I could sit here and say, well, there are stay-at-home moms and they just sit on Facebook all day. So I, I'm not here to try and elevate myself by comparing other mothers and, and the lousy job they're doing. I think we need to support one another. There is too much, well, I can feel better about me because I'm not that person. I think that comparison game really needs to stop.
0: Well, and it's so, and I think you're right, but it's so easy because of social media. I mean, you spend one second on any platform, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever. And the things that you'll think is, wow, that person's a lot happier than me. Wow. That business person's a lot more successful than me. Wow. That person's a lot prettier than me. You know, the list goes on. And in fact, I remember when my wife and I first we've been married five years and it's, it has been pretty hard. And so maybe the last two years where it's like, wow, I actually like you. I actually like spending time with you. <laughs> but I remember our, like, especially the first year of marriage, my wife would say something like, You know, everyone else's marriage on Facebook, they're just so happy. And I'm like, no one live streams their fight. I mean, no no one's putting, that's, that's kind of the temptation. It's kind of what feels natural in that it's, it's, it's kind of hard to actively be mindful enough to reject comparison and say, okay, I'm not going to go down that route.
1: Well, you know what? I will tell you, Blake, I am just as happy as people think I am. I have a, a lot of success, but it's not. Because uh, I just got lucky, I have an abundance mindset. And so I believe there's enough for everyone. Maybe we have different goals and want different things, but so I don't look at other people and say, oh, they're prettier than me. I don't really value attractiveness anyway. I value intellect. So it's like, whatevs, you know, (laughs) that's great for you. Like, I really. I mean, I had my hotness when I was 21 and I, that that was fine. Like I'm at 40, almost 48 now. I, I'm, that's not a priority anymore. Now I'm wor- worried about making an impact in the world. Sure. But my point is, if you allow a scarcity mindset to really set in, that's when you get into this comparison game. And, oh, they got the TED Talk and I didn't. Or they got that big contract with that hotel chain and I didn't. Um, that we all have hours coming to us when we work for it and, and are passionate about it. And there are plenty of opportunities for each one of us. So I would really say, stay away from that scarcity mindset because it's poison and those limiting beliefs are self-imposed and they will limit your success. But because I believe that that the sky is the limit for me. I often do reap a lot of opportunities because I think people are attracted to that mentality that I have. You attract what you put out into the world. Even if you're not saying it, your body language, your word choice, your tone, your presentation, it reeks of fear and scarcity if that's what you're operating from.
0: Well, and how does someone, and I don't want to beat a dead horse because obviously, you know, it takes self-awareness to realize what you're putting out, but how does someone flip it? How do you go from a fear-based? What's
1: the opposite message of what you're telling yourself? There's an opposite. If I play a game with you and I say, what's the opposite of open? What's the opposite of open? Closed. Right. What's the opposite of despair? Uh,
0: Happiness or hope.
1: Exactly. So whatever those, name what you're doing, name those emotions, name the stories. 60 to 80% of the messages that go through our mind every day are repeated messages. We only have about 20% novel thoughts. Every day is, what am I going to make for dinner? Oh, I'm a terrible mother. Like all these same thoughts that we're having every day. I'm too fat. I need to lose weight. Like over and over and over, it's like you have to arrest those recordings in your mind wow. yeah. and flip the script, flip yeah. that script.
0: Well, I love how aggressive, how much conviction you just had with that. I mean, I feel inspired. I'm like, yeah, I need to flip some things. And I don't know why my mind goes here. I don't know if you remember like the old like Stuart Smalley SNL bit where oh my
1: gosh, he's yeah, of the
0: mirror and he's like, you know, I'm smart and doggone it, people like me and. It, <laughs> We kind of need to do that a little bit sometimes is to absolutely like said, script and, and speak out what you want to be true about your life and your circumstances.
1: I have to say though, I, I come by the ability to look at my positives. It's not to my credit, actually. Maximizer is my number one strength, and people with maximizer focus on strengths. I focus on other people's strengths, I focus on mine, and I see potential. And so i look at that can be a a blind spot too right but i do tend to look at my strengths and what i do well and so i'm naturally oriented to appreciate the good things about myself and of course our messages and our belief and our identity is set by about age eight and so if we had people in our life who said you're not going to amount to anything you're you're nosy you're bossy you're a brat if we heard all of those messages in our childhood We're really trying to work against a lot of that. Um, In some cases, it's childhood trauma that people have had, but even just mild verbal abuse, it really shapes those things. And we have to start saying, you know what? Screw you. Get to the back of the bus. Like, that's not true. And I don't have to believe that. And we have to get to a point in our life where we challenge those messages and saying that doesn't have to be true of me. And maybe it was one day, maybe I was a terrible person, but every day is a new day to make a decision to pursue being the person that you want to be.
0: That's empowering. And it, it makes me think of my wife had read a book, I think it was called The Battlefield of the Mind. And I don't really know the context of it. I just remember thinking, yeah, like our mind, it's a battlefield and we really have to be aggressive and active in Forcing ourselves to think in a way that's productive for us Yeah,
1: Those those thoughts are not benign thoughts become things when you allow those thoughts to have free reign in your head They manifest into the decisions you make into the paths you you take and your life can go down a Completely different path and trajectory that you don't want to go down so it's Thoughts become things that is not harmless stuff going on there.
0: Yeah. Well, it's been just phenomenal having you on the show today. And I know our listeners are just probably blown away. For people who are listening who want to connect with you, uh, how can, first of all, how can they get connected with UMAP?
1: Um, Myumap.com. It's, it's U as in Y-O-U, not the letter U. MyUMAP.com is the website. You can reach me at Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-I-N, at MyUMAP.com, or Kristen Sherry on LinkedIn. I think there's a couple of them. I'm the one in North Carolina <laughs> that says author UMAP creator. So um, I'm at, at UMAP creator on Twitter and at CareerKristen on Instagram.
0: And then what, which book do they need to start with? If they're gonna go to Amazon today, where do they need to go? UMAP,
1: UMAP, uncover your four pillars of career uh, satisfaction. How do you spend your day as an entrepreneur? Are you doing things that you shouldn't be doing? Like who are you and how are you living your life? Start with UMAP.
0: Okay. Well, for our listeners, thanks so much for listening. And Kristen, we're glad you're on the show. Uh, As always, you guys can email me Blake at goodadvicecoaching.com. I'd love to hear your feedback here. You thought about the episode. Absolutely. Check out UMAP. Check out Kristen on LinkedIn. Connect with her. Thanks for listening. And I'll catch you later. See ya.